Hey everyone, and welcome back to So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast dedicated to all things emo and pop punk from the Naughty Yachty's end today. I'm one of your hosts, Rhea. I'm your other host, Chloe. And what are we getting into today, Chloe? Today we are continuing our journey through the history of Panic at the Disco. Um, We're going to be discussing their second album, the follow-up to A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. Uh, that is 2000 and ugh, 2008's mm-hmm. uh, Pretty Odd. Um an album that I really love a lot. It's near and dear to my heart. Great album. Great album. We finally clawed ourselves out of our respective hells of Baldur's Gate 3 and Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. <laughs> to come back and talk about Panic at the Disco. Literally two sides of the same coin. Yep. Um, Just fucking Wizards of the Coast ass bitches. Yeah. Like a- back to... <laughs> Talk like about a couple pop days punk and remember our roots. Into uh, me playing Baldur's Gate, uh, your boyfriend sent me a DM on Instagram being like, spent hours looking for this guy's rotted ass, turns out he was right here, and sent me like a picture of a Magic the Gathering <laughs> card of Halson, <laughs> who was also in Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's just where it's we're like, at. Yeah, man, he was right on your desk the whole time. And I fully have, I feel like I've barely talked to you. In like three weeks, I've been how much Baldur's Gate you've been playing. I've been so disappeared. I moved my uh, PlayStation up into the living room so that I can like still see my family. (laughs) That's how tired it's been. Yeah, (laughs) because otherwise it's like (laughs) once a day someone will come into my room and be like, "Are you alive? Are you okay?" I'm like, like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm just talking to Asterian, dude." Uh huh. (laughs) I'm on a date with my wife. Like, leave me alone. I'm doing important things like Mage Hand. Yeah. <laughs> and hating Gale. Yeah. I I don't hate Gale. I want to be very clear that I don't hate Gale. I think he's a well-written character. And I think he is consistently written. And I think they did a good job with him. But if I knew him in real life, I don't think I would hang out with him. <laughs> You've done nothing but complain about Gale on Twitter. Well, because he talks to me so much. Okay. He talks to me he, so much. Sometimes it's, you just don't want to talk. He's like, um, he's very like Bioware boy. And like, you know how like in like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, it's like you talk to Alistair or Anders or Caden like once and they're like, oh, we're married now. And you're like, we're, uh, not, yeah. we're not actually. And they're like, no, like I've told my family about you. And you're like, okay. I guess um, we're on that level. <laughs> I'm... I'm with someone else who you can see all the time. And they're like, mm, yeah, okay. But like, we're together, you know? And that's beautiful. Yeah. And um, before this turns into a Baldur's Gate 3 podcast yeah. and a Magic the Gathering podcast. Uh-huh. Um, and we get, back, and we get into Panic at the Disco Part 2. Yeah. If you like what we do here, please subscribe to our podcast on your podcaster of choice. That way you can never miss an episode from us and you don't have to rely on our sporadic tweeting on Twitter. And also, please rate and review us because it boosts us up in those podcatcher algorithms at large. And makes us seem cool and impressive and like we're big wigs on the scene or whatever the fuck. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SailEmoPod on both those places where you can get goofs and gags and updates. And mm-hmm. now we're going to talk about Pick of the Disco. Not Baldur's Gate 3. No. And not Magic the Gathering. No. Because right before this podcast, I was meticulously organizing all Magic the Gathering cards. Fucking and workshopping again. 
three i know it's ridiculous and three commander decks that i'm currently workshopping like the frequency with which i'll get a picture from you that's like reorganize my magic cards and it's like a beautiful little filing cabinet with like all your cards set up and then like a few days later it's like a different (laughs) setup because it can because it's never good enough is the thing but this time it's always evolving i bought like actual very specific nice plastic um dividers that go into specific like card box organizers instead of my janky ass cardboard ones that i made yeah and so it's like really neat and pretty now so i've been doing that and working on my tom bombadil commander deck (laughs) and my bilbo baggins commander deck (laughs) so it's it's been pretty busy here that is a real ass sentence. <laughs> my that Tom is very specific. Commander deck. <laughs> that is very specifically the Lord of the Rings Magic the Gathering cards and like nothing else. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, before we turn into a Wizards of the Coast property <laughs> podcast, let's fucking talk about Panic at the Disco. We have just wrapped up with them. Like at the absolute peak of their career, a basically a year and a half into the game, Fury yeah. just okay, uh, bleh, a Fury who can't sweat out reached multiple platinums. They just went on a headlining world tour where they did not, they barely broke even because of all the theatrics involved. So, what do they do next? Um, what every single one of us, I think, wants to do. Anytime life gets uh, weird or hard or crazy, um, they retreat to a cabin in the fucking woods in Mount Charleston, mm-hmm. Nevada, to write their next album. Um, and what does he get the creative juices out better than just being stranded in the woods in a cabin with your like coworkers and your closest friends trying to do a creative endeavor that um, like is all your livelihoods and you have the entire pressure of this whirlwind success? And yeah. trying to not make a sophomore slump album. Of, like, being basically, like, a recent high school grad with mm-hmm. a triple platinum uh, genre-changing album that, like, signified the start of a new era in your respective scene. And now everyone's like, okay, do it again. And like, you're like... Do it again. <laughs> and half of you can't even buy alcohol yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know who can buy alcohol? Your friend John, who plays bass for you. You've known him for about a year. And he's there with you in the woods. And he's there with you in the woods. I actually um, don't know if Mount Charleston, Nevada is even in the woods. Is it, or is it a desert part of Nevada? Um, I mean, they kind of call it the mountains. And I imagine mountains as having woods. Let me Sometimes look up. they don't. Oh, that's fucking woods. Oh, it's woods? Yeah. We're in that's, the shit. <laughs> that's woods. These are, there's, okay. there's snow in these photos. Oh, so they're probably like up by like Tahoe and shit. In fucking Nevada? I don't yeah. know where Nevada is, I think. It's right next to California. Yeah, and I thought so too, but there's like nearly, pictures of like real ass snow. Do you think it doesn't snow in California either? Yeah. It's Does it snow in snow California? In California? It snows in California. But not like for real. But, like, for real. Not it like, does. But not, like, real as snow. It does. There's like, a place. There's places where you can ski and snowboard in California. Just like how you can ski and, ski and snowboard in Nevada. 
And same thing in Idaho. There's like, well, Idaho, I know. Yeah. Idaho is like more in oh, the middle, okay. right? I'm, to me, Idaho was just bumfuck nowhere potato fields. And I, when I found well, out no, that I had a thriving but, skiing scene, I was well, fucked up by it. Yeah, because I know that it snows in Idaho. But like, or like Colorado or whatever, like the stuff in that zone. But like, they're not getting like three feet of snow in California. In some places they do. What? This doesn't sound true. I think you're making that up. Yeah. I'm not making it up. They get like significant snow. I don't believe you. What the fuck is going on here? Yeah, California's big dog. It like encompasses three or four different climate zones. It gets as low as minus twenty-seven degrees Celsius in Nevada. Yeah. Also, the desert gets cold at night. I'm so scared. It's fucked up how many different like environments are in the United States. It's not right. This is bad. Okay. Like I don't. It really. I don't like that in California there is like Death Valley, and the Mojave Desert, and then like snow. I thought Death in the Valley same was in place. Nevada. Is it not? It, like, it's, in the, it's on the border between okay. the two places. Hmm. I have driven through the Mojave Desert. I want to go tell there one you, day. It's hot. They tell yeah. you not to, like, turn your car AC off because you your car could overheat and stuff. I mean, like, you don't need to tell me that. I'm never turning the AC off. Yeah, no. I had my AC on when it was, like, 70 degrees out the other day. Yeah, that's hot. I get toasty. Anyway, anyway, beyond the <laughs> they go to the woods. They go to the, go woods. To the woods. Um, to hear them tell it now, they were doing um an amount of drugs out there. Uh, it sounds like they mostly talk about doing like a lot of shrooms and like a lot of weed. And that doesn't surprise. It, it, that's surprising <laughs> to none of us when you listen to Pretty Odd and like yeah. what the lyrics are like and the general it's, vibe. It's very like not to say like wow, what drugs were they on when they wrote this? But like, but like literally, it's also like. You hear it and someone's like, yeah, they were doing like a lot of shrooms when they wrote some of this. And it's like, yeah, like that makes sense. Because it's like the same way that like, you know, that the Beatles were doing like a lot of drugs when they wrote fucking like, I am the walrus. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. Because <laughs> frankly, like- you cannot write that shit without being a little bit toasted in and some I'm, way, shape or form. I'm sure somebody can, but like, yeah, they didn't. So, no, you know, um, so they were doing a ton of drugs. They were coming up with a concept album that was going to be about a couple getting a divorce. Like, okay, My Chemical Romance. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and this album was going to be called Cricket and Clover. Sometimes this is just kind of referred to as the cabin album by fans when they're referring mm-hmm. to like the Lost Panic album. The producer, Rob Mathis, mentioned that the album had like no choruses or repeating parts at all. It was like a really bizarre, really experimental. Uh, at some point, Spencer Smith, uh, the drummer for Panic at the Disco, mentioned that they wanted to use like handmade instruments using like materials that they could just find around the cabin, and that he had like a handmade drum that he made himself or something. Like it sounds like it was um, wild. It sounds like it was kind of something that would be impossible to reproduce live. Um, or Absolutely not. Perhaps even impossible to reproduce in a studio once it's been written in the cabin. But it just sounds like they got like, you know, when you're in a place, like they got cabin fever essentially, and just like went yeah. a little nutsy cuckoo <laughs> minus and, all the drugs. I mean, they were also like 
okay, well, like, we did something really, really weird for this album because, like, no other emo band was doing, like, full orchestration and, like, musical theater and Mm -hmm. bringing a circus out. So we have to do something else that's really weird, but we can't do the same thing again. So we have to go off in a different direction. And, like, obviously this was kind of, like, them getting super into the Beatles and, like, wanting to to do that and have their own Sgt. Peppers, but, like, their Mm -hmm. own thing and just getting so lost in like the the image of it almost and like the mm-hmm. aesthetic of it and the it has to be different that they kind of forgot to write songs <laughs> yeah it has to be different it has to be groundbreaking again it has to be like genre re- redefining again because they risk if it sounds too much like a fever you can't sweat out they're gonna be like accused a one-trick of pony right a one-trick pony yeah that they can't do anything more than that like boohoo whatever mm-hmm. now we're gonna move on to the next best thing yeah so like you said earlier it just proved to be too weird too inaccessible and just not fun to make mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like the cabin was very fun for any of them and so no <laughs> it, it does not feel like they could then take what they created in that cabin and try to have fun with it in a studio so it's kind of under so basically they just went on a weird like work trip that went wrong (laughs) yeah i mean i feel like doing drugs at a cabin in the woods is fun for like a day and then beyond that it's like i need to be at my own house you know and like like i've done like weekend cabin trips before and like the first night you just get absolutely fucking sloshed Mm-hmm. like everyone's fucking blackout drunk and then by the next day you're like i don't want to see alcohol and i want to be in a place that has central ac again yeah and i don't know it's it's just not super conducive i think to like really being productive like just that total lack of structure i mean i feel like i would go crazy with that complete lack of structure Maybe some of them would have been fine, but I mean, clearly they weren't because they didn't write the album. So, because like there is like a long history of doing like an artist retreat, writers retreats, but it's typically at a place that is run by people, uh-huh. and they like remind you to like be a human and to be yeah. a person because you're kind of there with strangers at first, mm-hmm. and so while you're doing a very solitary act, you still have a sense of like community. And they understand, like, an artist unchecked on their own is probably going to go a little nutsy cuckoo. Yeah. So there's that. Like, I always joke with my friends and stuff that, like, oh, we just need to go away to a cabin for, like, a week and just write and create and, like, get it all out there. But I know for a fact if we did that, none of that would happen. No. Absolutely not. Because there's no, like, adult chaperone telling me to go do what I came here for. Mm Mm-hmm kind of thing yeah but cricket and clover was almost entirely scrapped by late 2007 and there's only two surviving songs from it which is folking around which did make it onto pretty odd and nearly witches and if you guys remember the fall boy citizens for the better bit mixtape right before folia do came out the demo of nearly witches came out on that under the pseudonym paul revere jumpsuit apparatus and when that all came out, we all exactly knew that it was a cabin song and we knew that it was Panic at the Disco. It was yeah. so clockably them mm-hmm. that there was no like guesswork involved on that one. 
And Nearly Witches then later received a full rewrite and finished release with only one of Ryan Ross's original lyrics making it onto a song on Vices and Virtues, which we will get to much later. Yeah. But that's the only way that Nearly Witches kind of survives now. Yeah. Um, So there are some other, like, surviving bits of Cricket and Clover. Um, Some lyrics surfaced that had been scrawled on some, like, Hilton Garden Inn stationery for a song that seems to be called uh, Feather Fingers, Mm -hmm. um, according to, like, the leaked track list that showed up on the internet a billion years ago. There are some demos currently the possession of John Walker. Which is a hysterical person to have them. Yeah, like the (laughs) one guy who like on paper was barely in the band. Like he was really the only one who was not contractually bound to produce new music in the same way that like Ryan and Spencer and Brendan all were. Mm -hmm. Um. Which is, like, why later on, when we talk about this, he was kind of just free to leave and do his own thing. And Ryan was not. So how does John end up having them? I don't know. Um, That's what I want to know. He, uh, I think he's deleted all of his tweets about this now, but he did tweet about it that, like, he had, uh, his father-in-law had found them, like, on a CD and that he, like, obviously didn't have clearance to, like, release them anywhere. Because, like... You know, like, just, I'm sure there's legal complications with it. And, like, I'm mm-hmm. sure that probably the rest of the band is, like, I don't want people to listen to, like, this fucking half-baked idea that I had, like, a decade ago in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Like, in a time period that, like, probably was not super fun. No. And I almost feel like John wouldn't do it out of respect for Ryan at yeah. this point. More so exactly. than anything else. Because, like... He's kind of the dude he, that he has the most allegiance to. Yeah. I would assume so, given the Young Veins and, like, the fact that Young Veins just put out a vinyl record that, like, obviously John and Ryan both have to be in communication for that. So, yeah. like. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, I mean, he just seems like a decent, like, I feel like I know the least about him than anyone in Panic because just, like, he's, mm-hmm. you know. Normal. He's just, yeah, he's fully just, like, some guy now, right? um except he does some musicians like some some guy who is the touring bassist for spitalfield but like (laughs) he's also (laughs) like a guy yeah he's not like a a famous person in the same way that like ryan or brendan were um yeah so i seems he just seems decent like he's not gonna do anything to like fuck up like what their lives are um, though he no, did, and he just likes he likes to stir the pot a little bit. Yeah, he does love to he do an interview. <laughs> um, he talked a little bit um, in an interview with The Ringer where uh, he said that the band was kind of on the verge of breaking up before I even joined, and I feel like there were a mm-hmm. lot of clashing of personalities and opinions, and that writing pretty odd, like after the Cabin album, uh, felt like it was injecting a lot of positivity and happiness into the band that wasn't there before, um, mm-hmm. and that playing that album live was kind of like a reprieve almost from like like oh okay like we we wrote the new album like it's okay we're like we're having fun again yeah which and you can like, hear we like playing it yeah like they very clearly loved pretty odd yeah and i can only imagine because it was just so different than what like the same what how many al- songs are on fever like 
yeah 13 i of think them, so around that basically playing the same 13 songs over and over and over again living in that aesthetic for like a year and a half of your life yeah without having a rest of the body of work to you know play with on stage mm-hmm. and then actually have it be different enough for you to remember that you like playing music and yeah. like performing so yeah exactly so in late 2007 they scrap the album they come back home to nevada or to las vegas in nevada um and they begin production on what will become pretty odd and they mm-hmm. do kind of like another <laughs> they love to do this like a marathon writing and recording session from september 2007 to february of 2008 uh, in Nevada with additional production completed at Abbey Road in England, uh, the famous Beatles studio, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure that Ryan was fucking thrilled about. Yeah. And uh, it's what September to February is like, what, five months? So yeah, it's, it's better than the original, like two to three months. Significantly better. Months. And they did have kind of like some stuff to draw from. Like they did keep mm-hmm. some of their cabin work. But, like, still, like, just a much nicer timeline. (laughs) Yep. And even Ross said, saying, we wanted to approach these songs in the most basic form. We wrote them all on one acoustic guitar and with some singing. I think that we kind of skipped that part of songwriting on the first record. And this time we're sort of paying attention to that. We've been written. Eh. We've written a bunch of songs since we've been home in Las Vegas. I think it's the most fun and happiest we've been since we started. And um, you'll never guess who wrote the article. This quote is from our Bessie. It's, <laughs> it's actually unreal because I would like be looking up <laughs> articles and be like, maybe this one's not written by James Montgomery. Of course it is. He was the only person writing about, I think, all music in 2008. <laughs> he was the only one willing to be on this beat full time when no one else wanted it. Yeah, I like genuinely i think that john janik president of feel by ramen from this time period was like paying james montgomery he has to have been because he was like dedicated boots on the ground talking about feel by ramen bands non-concrete like at james montgomery yeah we want to talk I gen I want to talk to this guy. Like, Get was it pod. just him? Did he know anyone <laughs> else who was doing this? Because, like, surely you have colleagues as like a music journalist. You know other music journalists. Yeah, you're probably working well, in. Why was at least no back one then. fucking else at MTV ever talking about Panic at the Disco? Just some guy on the beat. I'd have no fucking clue. And like, this is back when writers' rooms like. The, the fucking publications actually had everyone in the same office like, right like they existed now. so it's like, like was it i i think there must have just been like a floor that was just him he was the only guy there <laughs> he had one corner cubicle yeah sequestered away from everyone that was talking about like black-eyed peas and the, and like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like britney <laughs> and then there was james fucking montgomery writing about panic at the disco the fucking like beautiful mind conspiracy wall that's just like <laughs> connecting all the fbr bands to each other <laughs> truly he's the only one on our fucking level yeah it's true <laughs> he's the only motherfucker in this city who can handle me <laughs> truly uh- <laughs> So they officially announce this new album in January of 2008, um, which was followed by a fucking 
devastating announcement. The worst um, thing this band could have done to me besides their inevitable breakup. Yeah. The exclamation point was dead. Um, in an MTV article from James fucking Montgomery, they said um, it became such an issue that panic feels the panic were forced to discuss the exclamation thing with MTV news following a press conference in Torrance, California, where they were announced as the headliners of the 2008 Honda civic tour. And they were asked, so really guys, what was the reason for dropping the exclamation point? Um, and Brendan said, we wrote it that way once when we first started the band and then people kept writing it that way. And it was a freaking whirlwind. We never made a big deal of pulling it off the name. I mean, every time I write our name, I never put an exclamation point in there, which is so fucking ironic. It, this is very just like put a fucking pin in that because I'm going to come back to it later when I turn around and start becoming a professional Brendan Urie hater. <laughs> but I can remember seeing that and just being like, okay, well, I'm ignoring that. Like, no when one, I, no when one I followed bought, that. <laughs> so Pretty Odd comes out. I go to the store. I buy that album the day that it comes out. I'm like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make myself a little drink. I'm going to make myself a little cup of tea. I'm going to import this into my fucking iTunes library. I'm going to drink my tea. I'm going to listen to this album start to finish. And as I'm listening to it, I'm also editing the metadata to add the fucking exclamation point back in (laughs) so that when I put this on my iPod, I don't have panic exclamation point at the disco and then panic no exclamation point at the disco because that was going to piss me off. Um... And I was right. I did the same thing. By the way, I was right to do that. Mm-hmm. I also distinctly Fucking remember stupid making my mom go to the Wachung Target and making her buy me Pretty Odd and also finally buying me a copy of A Fever You Can't Sweat Out because mm-hmm. I had to illegally download that shit on LimeWire first because I remember bringing it up to her in 2006 mm-hmm. and her being like seeing song titles like lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off and her being like i'm not buying this for you that's so funny. meanwhile this woman had me watch rocky horror picture show when i was like 11 so i don't understand where this like need to protect me came from suddenly when i was bu- like wanting to listen to my own music i don't know but when i made her buy me pretty odd she let me get fever you can't sweat out finally because two years later apparently i could handle that yeah that's how that works and that was also the christmas that my mom bought me the deluxe version of pretty odd that i still have that only ten thousand copies of it were made that one is so good i still have that shit it comes with like a certificate of authenticity and telling you like what number you were in the printing Mm -hmm. and stuff so i still have that the fact that my pretty odd vinyl isn't like destroyed from how often i listen to it on a record player is frankly astounding i mean I guess it's well taken care of. Yeah. Apart from all the listening. Yeah. I also never took... There's a puzzle in it that I never took... Even took the plastic oh, off I of. Oh, I remember the puzzle. Yeah. Yep. I, I never took that. it off. Because I was like, I'm going to ruin this. Yeah. That's I'm going to save this for myself. <laughs> save myself from this. Yeah. Basically. But yeah, let let's get into Pretty Odd, which yeah. honestly, like I love Fever so much, but I would consider Pretty Odd my favorite Panic album. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, so Pretty Odd got like a little viral marketing campaign 
the first snippet of Nine in the Afternoon was heard. This doesn't give out to be the most 2007 sentence I've ever said. <laughs> uh, it was heard in the background of an episode of Heroes. <laughs> Back when the show was still good. I mean, it was like, what, a season and a half long? Like, did it even have time to get bad? Yes, it did. It had Jesus. like three or four seasons. And by like season like three, it got so bad. That's so depressing. And I think, or like, yeah, by like season three, it got really bad because of the writer strike in 2007. Oh my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. <gasps> the writer strike. That writer. Fuck. The mm-hmm. shit that we got from that writer strike, though supernatural the way baby. That we're still feeling the impact of that writer's strike oh to my this god day, yeah to this day and now we've just had another one but this one yeah, didn't which, give us destiel so and i think we can talk about heroes now now that is the wj strike officially over or i think so i think they've reached because the, they've reached a tentative agreement a tentative but i don't agreement. know if it was it was officially signed or not i don't know i don't want to talk about uh work that would have been struck yeah. At the time by accident, which is all to say, Zachary Quinto, an icon. Yeah, yeah, icon. Like, icon. We love that man. Um, love him. So they play a little snippet of Nine in the Afternoon in the background of an episode of Heroes. Um, they posted such a way. <laughs> a, <laughs> they posted a bulletin to their MySpace titled And So It Begins, which was a link to a puzzle. Um, it was like a word game. I honestly don't remember too much about this. I, rem- yeah, I, I know that I it did either. it, and I don't remember what it was. Um, yeah. But from that puzzle, fans got the lyric, you don't have to worry. Um, and this was also how fans eventually found the album title, the artwork, and the lead single. So this is the first and only Panic album to feature Ryan and John on vocals. Which is very fun. Yeah. Ryan sang live quite frequently. Yeah. But never on the album. Like, you can't hear him on A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. Mm-mm. It's um, all Brendan all the time. Yeah. And Avi, John wasn't there. Yeah. So. Um, but when they were performing live, obviously, it was, like, the way that these songs, like, layered vocal parts. Like, obviously, you just need another singer. And Ryan was there. Um, mm-hmm. And he finally, like, stepped up and did some singing on this album, which, like... Thank God. I loved it. Because behind the sea. Ugh. Behind, behind the, the sea. Behind the man. Ah. I remember, that was, I think, my favorite song on the album when it first came out because I was such a Ryan girly. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you remember the website Tagaki E for all of oh my, my like. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tagaki E. Which was, for those of you who don't remember or, like, weren't on, like, a DeviantArt adjacent like fandom space in the 2000s mm-hmm. was a live art board where you could draw directly into Tagaki E and like you had to have a tablet to use it. Yeah. Um and people would go nutsy cuckoo. You had you drew all your comments, you drew all your posts and lots of like RPs and stuff came yeah. from it. I was involved in several many of them, but I distinctly remember making like I was okay. First of all, I was on the fucking like written like calligraphy beat way before all the Pinterest white girls and basic <laughs> bitches got onto it because I was out there in the trenches on Tagaki E making beautiful handwritten script things behind the behind the sea lyrics. That's what I was doing, <laughs> and that's important to me. <sighs> yeah, and I think we all have to acknowledge that. 
Thank that you. Rhea was there first. I was there first. I was the blueprint for all the things that because so many people went to Tagaki eat and <laughs> saw that shit. <laughs> so <laughs> God. So <laughs> this album Yeah, I know I just like the psychic damage of remembering <laughs> uh artist RP spaces. Yeah, that place was fucking in the two thousand the Wild West, man. The fucking drama yeah. that came from those places, my God, the Twitter girlies would not have survived. It's like you actually can't explain <laughs> it. it to normal people. Like if you, you weren't can't. there, then you just you you don't need to know about it. It's fine. No. Um no. And this isn't even in like a like you had to be there. It's like fucking thank God that you weren't there. Like, yeah, it was I, a, I would it was sound a genuinely like a- stupid time. <laughs> like trying to discuss the drama from then is so harrowing like it 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 feels worse than trying to explain like twitter beef yeah because everyone kind of understands twitter on a certain level but not everyone understands like deviant art yeah i think the closest (laughs) thing is honestly like uh really like niche discord servers where like yeah everyone is just like a little no one likes each other in there to a favorite character Mm-hmm. and they don't actually like each other yeah and like it's just kin drama yeah and it's just like but it's like next level kin drama mm-hmm. like where people take it as a personal attack against them yeah and like it's you're like, an awful irredeemable person because you like a character the wrong way it's just very like there was kin drama on tumblr but like i feel like the kin drama that happens in private discord servers is like worse oh absolutely and like i i I want to see it so bad, but I don't want to get in there. I just want someone to tell me about it. Yeah, I just want to know about like the hobby drama of like kin discords. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's it. If you if you have access to a Discord server where there's like <laughs> just the world's about. worst kin drama happening and you have no one to tell about it, please tell me about please it. Please tell us. Uh, so emo, I, I do fell need apart it. is here for you. <laughs> um (laughs) anyway so this album saw a sonic shift away from the darker more baroque emo pop of a fever you can't sweat out to a brighter happier psychedelic pop rock um they kept the big orchestra parts they kept the big gang vocals um but like it was a very different sound uh the narrative songs were also Mm happier like compare when the day met the night to build god then we'll talk which are both songs that are like telling a story but Mm -hmm. one song is about the moon falling in love with the sun and the other song is about um people having affairs and sleeping with their bosses in a seedy las vegas hotel yep they're they want to do something else for now it's clear yeah it's very clear and also the amount of like ship playlists i put when the day met the night is yeah. on because yeah. i am a sucker for a sunshine moon couple yeah in all media that i enjoy mm-hmm. oh my god incomparable oh, yeah. the girlies <laughs> saw hubert von vestra and ferdinand von eyer and they were like when the i know exactly the night, what don't mind I if exactly i do exactly what song <laughs> this goes for panic exactly of the disco. here we go <laughs> You did and, something special with this one. And they're right to do so. Um, the uh, song title, Nine in the Afternoon, also feels like a pretty obvious reference to the Beatles song, Eight Days a Week, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, in the opinion of lots of people, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I got like a really mixed response. Meanwhile, I loved it because I grew up on, you know, the Beatles, as most people our age with parents our age do. Yeah. Um, and also I this was the time in my life where I was like straddling emo pop punk and like being an indie bitch. Mm-hmm. So nine in the app like not not nine in the afternoon, pretty odd, like kind of was the Venn diagram for like, yeah, I'm listening to the Decemberists and the Shins and fucking stars and the new pornographers mm-hmm. and also all of my emo pop punk bullshit. But yeah. here is pretty odd kind of existing in that Venn diagram space. Yeah. I uh honestly did not really grow up in like a huge Beatles household. Like we mm-hmm. they're just it was a queen household. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost. But uh Across the Universe had come out the year before this album came out. And so. they again, they were so <laughs> fucking smart. They know so I was what to do. Primed. I was ready for this one. Oh um, my god. Across the universe. What a fucking moment. Yeah, I also um and I don't think this is a terribly controversial opinion. I think that the versions of the Beatles songs in Across the Universe are better than the original Beatles oh, songs. Absolutely. Um, it's a hill I'll die on. I don't care. No, you're you're correct um, to say it. Yeah. The uh, lesbian version of I Want to Hold Your Hand, shut the fuck up. That's the Best only version. one. That's the only one. Don't I care. I saw um, the actress who plays uh, Prudence in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Fuck yes. <laughs> it was like the last show in previews <laughs> before they decided to not go ahead with that show. Incredible. And she played the Spider Queen. Yeah. In that. She um she was also Eurydice in one of like the earlier productions of uh Hades Town. Oh fuck yeah. Because Hades Town got its start in fucking Edmonton, Alberta. That um, ain't right. Yeah. And <laughs> she was she was in that playing Eurydice. Um Hell yeah. amazing for her. I love that. The uh TV Carpio. We love her. Yes, I was like TV radio, that's not her name. Yeah. I was remembering the EO part. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about seeing her in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is that we were a bunch of like we were able to get in because we were a drama department in a New York metro area public school. So mm-hmm. we were able to get preview tickets that way. Mm-hmm. It was a field trip we were able to take. And we were up in the balcony, like the upper mezzanine. Mm-hmm. And because that entire show was like full of rigging for flying all around the theater yeah. and the house and killing <laughs> actors on it, yeah. TV Carpio had to walk up to where we were <gasps> in her spider costume to get attached to rigging to be able to fly across the house and oh back onto my the stage. God. So she was just like in the aisle, like walking between like, seats hey. in this huge costume. Immersion? Never heard of her. Like, and that's the thing I remember from that show. This show was fucking cursed. Yeah. Like, and I saw it. Jesus. That's actually mm-hmm. like so incredible, though, to see that shit live. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, like one of my fun facts is like I was able to see Spider Man turn off the dark live, which I... means nothing to a lot of people, but means everything to some people. <laughs> but to me, it means everything. <laughs> there was, I remember like a fucking SNL weekly update joke 
about that where they were talking about, like, a list of the injuries that have happened at that show, and one of them was, Mm -hmm. like, fell asleep so violently that I hit my head on the chair in front of me. (laughs) 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 I feel like if they did it now, they could handle it. so often. (laughs) Like, if I'm really tired at work, I'm, like, I'm about to fall asleep so violently, like, I'm at a fucking showing of Turn Off the Dark. (laughs) 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 It's lasting legacy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Christ. Anyway, that's all to say that like the album got a lot of mixed responses. Fans were confused by the massive shift in both sound and tone, and like it was so far beyond what the typical like emo pop punk adjacent etc. bands sounded like. That everyone's like, we can't even compare this to anything within the scene right now. Minus like maybe the Hush sound, uh-huh. and it just doesn't feel like. And even then, people didn't know what the fuck to do with the Hush sound. No, but I consider them a part of the scene because they were a Decadence band. Yeah, exactly. But, like, the Hush sound also kind of came in via Panic! at the Disco. So, like, people were kind of lumping them in together as, like, oh, that's, like, whatever the fuck that genre is. Um, Yeah. And, like, didn't... I mean, again, it's kind of, like, similar to how they didn't know how to market gym class heroes, because they were like, you're mm-hmm. doing hip-hop, but, like, you're also playing instruments. Like, what the fuck do we do? It's like... No, we don't know what to do with that. But They were like, it's, like, folk, but, like, it's rock? Like, what is this? And it's like, can you just fucking relax and, like, play Medicine Man on the radio? Like, shut up. Yeah. A lot of the weird mixed reviews or, like, the dislike was coming more from fans than from critics, because, like, critics... Yeah. Almost across the board, we're praising the fuck out of this album. Mm-hmm. Um, we're saying it's bold, it's ambitious, you're not doing what's expected of you, you went in a completely different direction, like huge moves um, that for the most part paid off. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's more mature than your first album, it's like more cohesive than your first album. Um, it seems like it was more fun to record, like they kind of were hitting their stride. Um, it showed pro- more of an instrumentality, you know? It wasn't just dudes in a band making an album by accident that just happened to sound good and being like, oh, shit, these guys actually know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was kind of like a... It was a, it was a big swing. It was good. Mm-hmm. It was doing well. But, like, despite all of the critical acclaim, it was not outselling a fever you can't sweat out. Um, and I believe that it has only ever managed to reach platinum status compared to fever, which reached triple platinum quite mm-hmm. quickly. Um, I mean, it's triple platinum in my heart. Yeah, it's it is kind of funny to be like, yeah, it was only ever platinum, as if that's like something that anyone can do, um, right? Still huge. Most artists are not platinum selling. No, they're happy to receive gold. Yeah, it is still a major fucking deal. And then they took it on tour, and the mm-hmm. main headlining tour in support of Pretty Odd was the 2008 Honda Civic tour featuring. The Hush Sound, Motion City Soundtrack, and Phantom Planet. Two of those bands that we've seen in the past year. Yeah, in the past, yeah, genuinely. <laughs> uh, like, two of them on the same day. Yeah, which again, shout out Phantom Planet for opening their set with the Succession theme song. Yeah, that was, like, you're so fucking real for that. You guys get it. Yep. The stage for this tour was, like, a lot simpler than Nothing Rhymes with Circus. Like, they just kind of had, like, one background... Um, I think it was a screen, because I remember before the show, they were playing, like, the same ad for their fucking Honda Civic just over and over again on that screen. And, like, branches and leaves wrapped around the mic stands. They didn't have any extras. They didn't have any acrobats. They were, like, a lot more intimate, and there was no script or, like, pre-planned bits 
like during the Fever You Can't Sweat Out tour era for uh, Nothing Rhymes with Circus, Brendan would like have his little, like, oh, imagine you're like dreaming of like being in a field with your lover, you know, like every night. Yeah. None of that. Un- unplanned banter. Um, and Ryan was singing live for entire fucking songs instead of just as backup. Also, there was no costumes. Everyone was like really wearing whatever they wanted to wear. I mean, they all I mean, like they kind of fit very in much... a certain vibe. Yeah, there was a but vibe it, that was going on, but it it wasn't like the it, rose vest. No, and Ryan was no longer painting Tim Burton scenes on his face mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> Which was a little bit heartbreaking, but when he had that long curly brown hair and wore oh, the brown God. vests with the with the fucking scarves and like and, the like, friendship the little, like bandana thing that the ba- he would wear, oh. yeah, he that was like so cute. couple months before he, was he just fucked up like and a got hippie. a bowl cut, yeah, <laughs> fuck <laughs> that fucked up bowl cut. He like immortalized <sighs> forever in the that green gentleman video. I'll never forgive he him. Wanted... That shit was busted. It's like. <laughs> It was so crazy because it's like, you can't be John Lennon. You have to do something else. But like, he wanted to be John Lennon so bad. So badly. Um, I think he still had his beautiful hair for his 21st birthday at Angels and he Kings. He did, yeah. Where like, Kelty popped out of a cake for him. Yeah. Which, by the way, Kelty was like the maid of honor at Jack Van Eck's wedding this past like that's in the past like nuts. two weeks which is so fucking funny but if you know anything Ross's more, ex-girlfriends are unionized unionized <laughs> like literally unionized it's like how brendan feels about ryan and dallin being friends is how ryan feels about jack and kelty like, being Kelsey. friends <laughs> like jack and kelty have a podcast together yeah like, christ uh, so fucking and that was also the same night that then uh his birthday party in new york then flew to the west coast where brendan was the same night yes yeah mm-hmm. the girlies were losing their minds i'm still um, losing my mind i saw them in montreal on this tour on the honda civic tour mm-hmm. um it was on a school day i had to That's take the big. fucking had to take the That's fucking big. train to montreal like straight after school um there's a picture of me somewhere like just hanging out outside of their tour bus mm-hmm. um with my like shitty burnt hair and my Mikey way glasses. Um, <laughs> the set list for this show ruled. Um, it's it a opened, short set list. It was, a, it's a very short set list compared to like, they could have played both albums front the to recent back. <laughs> shows that I've seen, but I mean, they also had like three openers uh, um, fair. who like also played like pretty decently long sets. Mm-hmm. Um, so they played, we're so starving. Nine in the afternoon, but it's better if you do. Kamisado, she's a handsome woman. The only difference between martyrdom and suicide is press coverage. Behind the sea, lying is the most fun. That green gentleman. There's a good reason these tables are numbered, honey. You just haven't thought of it yet. Um, featuring Ryan's iconic I don't smoke line. Um, <sighs> Folkin' Around, which honestly, didn't expect them to play live. Crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I write Sins Not Tragedies. Northern Downpour Live! Uh, the encore was Time to Dance and Mad as Rabbits. Reinvent um, them, bitch. This is the same set list that you will see on their live album that they recorded on this tour. They recorded it at the uh, Chicago date of this tour, and it's just called Live in Chicago. Yep, I own that. It's really good. Um, mm-hmm. This album also features a tour documentary called All in a Days, um, which is 
also very clearly inspired by the Beatles. Oh, um, yeah. They painfully. Like, they were just so fucking on one about wanting to be the Beatles at this moment. It was um, almost frankly embarrassing. <laughs> Like how bad it was. It, it's like, yeah, it's like here's the real kin drama in a private dis- <laughs> in, a, in a private fucking Discord. <laughs> it's the cabin in the woods, and it's Ryan and Brendan arguing over who's Paul and who's John. <laughs> exactly, and Spencer's just fucking Ringo banging out the tunes. <laughs> exactly, just happy to be here. <sighs> oh my god! And like what? the actual John Walker, who's just like. <laughs> significantly older than them he's like oh my god genuinely just like the equivalent of me looking at any discord server and being like i'm 30 and i have a job um, right <laughs> i don't care that aphrodite i'm not on is my parents to insurance anymore like i i can't do this um <laughs> miles what um, do you want one of the executive producers is now in the room miles oh what does he want i don't know he is huffing and puffing at me so oh. i'm so sorry listeners if you hear dog sounds in the background they're used to it. Yeah. That little dude is always making demands. Oh, yeah. He, like, boss makes a dollar, I make a dime. <laughs> that's why I bark on podcast time. <laughs> Literally, that's it. <laughs> um, and then, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to us in early 2009? I remember where I was, what, how I felt what I was wearing, what it smelled like. The worst thing you could possibly get. You, what you could get on your fucking sidekick. Uh-huh. On your NV3. I had an NV3 at the time, I think. Uh-huh. Panic the Disco, 2009. Mm-hmm. They announced early on that they're going to be making their third album. We're like, great. Sick. Yeah. Love this. And then months and months go by. Nothing about the album. And then July 2009. In my birth month. Mm-hmm. First of all, mm-hmm. I think I'm getting a lovely little announcement that the album's here. <laughs> Happy, I think I was like 15. Happy 15th birthday, Rhea. Yeah. Your favorite band is coming out with a new album. Yeah. No, no. I was in the middle of the new Providence A&P in the produce section by the Apples. Uh-huh. I was wearing a Cobra Starship t-shirt. Oh, purple. my God. My mom was picking out pears. Mm-hmm. And I get a text. Yeah. Ryan and John Walker are leaving Panic at the Disco. And I was in exactly miles. Gruff is indeed. I was inconsolable. My mom was like, why are you crying? I was like, my favorite band is breaking up. And she's like, can you be serious? And I was like, no, (laughs) I can't. Yeah, I was um, 17. Um, And I am pretty sure that I was at home because I remember... Just, like, getting up and, like, first thing I would do was, like, check out AbsolutePunk.net. Of course. See if anything good the has happened. The sacred You know? And nothing good had happened. The worst thing that's ever happened to me had happened. Um, mm-hmm. I was so fucking heartbroken. I was fully just, like, it's fucking over. And, like, remember seeing that, like, Brendan and Spencer con- intended to continue on with the name and thinking, like, okay, well, you don't have a lyricist. That's literally like, what I thought. I'm like, you guys aren't. So what are you going to do? <laughs> what? Because in my mind, it's like Ryan is Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Brendan is not Panic at the Disco. Spencer is not Panic at the Disco. Ryan is. Yeah. And, it's and it felt like, like a slap in the face. Honestly. Yeah. Because it's like, realistically, I'm like, yeah, like, sure. Like, Panic at the Disco is four people. But like, 
if you take out the person who's writing the words and the words are the reason that like most people are coming to it or the reason that I was coming to it at least. Um, exactly. And like, you know, it's, and it, it's like, I know that they kind of felt a way about being compared to Fallout Boy all the time, but it's like, okay, well you're doing this a similar way that Fallout Boy is doing this where yeah. you have one person writing the lyrics and then one person doing like the primary music composition. Um, and everyone else is adding to it, but it's like, it's really these two guys who are like mm-hmm. leading the creative output here. And Ryan's lyrics were a big reason why the music sounded the way that it did, because the way that he was writing was not to music that already existed. Right. So like he was doing things with sentence structure and with rhyming patterns that like you wouldn't really get if you were writing to a like a piece of music. Versus mm-hmm. if you're just writing to write and then transposing that to music that you're making up for it. His um, English major ass. Yeah. So, like, that's the reason why the music is so weird and why, like, it layers the way that it does and why the syllables are just, like, strange. And, and why it references the things that it references and yeah, everything. Why it's, like, so literary and so... It, I mean, I just can just remember listening to it and thinking, like, oh, like, I've never heard a song that, like, men- like says the word anesthetic. Like, I've ne- never heard a song right? sing like that. Like, mm-hmm. I've never heard them talk about things like this. And, like, I'm sure that they weren't, like, the first to do it. But, like, I was, like, 15. So it was, like, my first yeah, exposure so- to to anything like this. Mm-hmm. And then if you split those guys up, it's genuinely, like, if you don't have pete or you don't have patrick you don't have fallout boy because those are the guys like if 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 you don't have ryan writing the words this is a different band now Mm -hmm. (laughs) because his words were like half of the song so it was just so like so what the fuck are you guys gonna like you're not continuing with the name this is a different band now yeah, and it just felt very like we're going to take advantage of a brand that we've already established. So whatever new thing that we do will still get attention because we're still Panic at the Disco yeah. versus setting basically you guys up for failure. Yeah, which like, I don't know, it, it sucks. Um, it does. And I'm shocked that there wasn't more like legal issues beyond Yeah. Having I mean, I'm, who knows what happened behind I'm sure there was some shit happening behind this. the scenes. On paper, everyone insists that that split was amicable. Like, as much Which as John says, like, oh, yeah, there were, like, clashing personalities and, like, this was always in the cards. And even Ryan later was like, yeah, like, I think this was always how it was going to happen. But they do publicly all say, like, this was primarily creative differences. These were not differences of personality mm-hmm. um, or, like, irreconcilable differences between us that we could not be in a fucking room together like it was just we wanted to make different kinds of music it's like okay but then why did two of you get to keep the name (laughs) right and then also it's like okay if you're having creative differences that does get personal at a certain point yeah like you you can't divorce those two things from one another no because it's like okay well ryan very clearly wanted to do like kind of a Beatles inspired sound and make that more retro inspired rock while Brendan and Spencer mm-hmm. wanted to do like this more polished, like pop rock um, and kind of continue on down like a more like, I don't know, like commercial or like accessible route. Mm-hmm. 
and like I'm like struggling not to say the word sellout because like I think that they were still doing things that they wanted to do and that they found creatively interesting mm-hmm. versus intentionally making stuff that would sell but like it's hard to say we wanted to make more polished pop rock without it being like yeah you wanted to fucking sell albums guys like yeah you made one that didn't sell as many as the first one you wanted to sell as many as the first one and it's very obvious that that was the plan given how their first single as panic of the disco as just brendan and spencer ended Mm -hmm. up being yeah they they released a new single that was exclusive to jennifer's body it was written for a movie and it was written like i mean brendan alleges like he said that he had the song cooking for around two years based on a lucid dream that he had okay but uh, like okay but you still decided to go the more traditional media route of this is a really anticipated movie featuring gener- uh featuring Megan Fox yeah written by Diablo Cody yeah everyone is getting ready to talk about this movie like it was the movie of Taylor like, Williams that has a song that soundtrack too which is really good yeah um, so it's it's unsurprising that that's what the goal was yeah you know like um, it. <laughs> yeah i mean alternative press published this little like news snippet in 2009 where they said okay let's recap this past monday panic the disco guitarist slash primary songwriter ryan ross and bassist john walker quit the band then hours later brendan yuri vocals and spencer smith drums responded to ross and walker's departure assuring fans that panic of the disco will soldier on then this past Tuesday, uh, we brought you exclusive news of Panic's new single, uh, referring to New Perspective, the song that was written for the Jennifer's Body soundtrack. But this trumps all of that. Ladies and gentlemen, the exclamation point is back. So From- you lying, cheating, yeah. deceptive <laughs> little bastard. Rotted, gutted, gutted, feeded, twisted, garbage, trash. Wretched. Brendan and I have been hard at work in the studio writing and doing demos of new songs for you. Um, here is a clip of a new demo we recorded this past week. It's called Oh Glory. Um, this song ended up as like a bonus track on Vices and Virtues. Uh, we're really excited about the new songs we're working on and can't wait to release more. In a few weeks, we'll set out on the Blink-182 tour, which is still unbelievable to us. They're the reason I started playing music and I can't wait to be part of something so close to me. Uh, check back soon for more updates and our new single, New Perspective. Sincerely, Spencer of Panic! Exclamation point at the disco. And also, this is, like, the prologue to Spencer then doing, like, tag music, basically, and, like, getting into managerial stuff because he took, like, a PR role in this whole shift. And also, I think it's a fucking slap in the face that they finally got to go on a Blink-182 tour without Ryan. Ryan, who literally started the band as a Blink-182 cover band. And Not then they were Spencer. like, okay, we're touring with, we're touring Ryan with Blink. did. And it's like, I know that Ryan, because the tour was like in the cards already. So like, I know that obviously before Ryan and John left the band, like they knew that that meant we're not going to be on this tour with Blink-182. Mm-hmm. And like, imagine how much you must want to not be in a band anymore to be like, okay, I'm going to not tour with Blink-182. Like the reason why I'm here right like, now fuck like how bad was it like for all that they say that they were like amicable and like oh we're all still on good terms like that and also them bringing back the exclamation point felt so pointed yucky and 
Yeah, because I remember seeing that, like, them being like, oh, we brought back the exclamation point, and being like, oh, so was it, like, just Ryan and John who didn't want the exclamation point? But, like, also, Brendan and Spencer were really the ones talking about how they didn't need the exclamation point to begin with. So it was just like, what are we doing? It just feels so bad. It was like, I felt like my parents were divorcing and they were each like bad mouthing the other in front of me. Right. And I was just oh my God. like being like, I know that you're like, mom says that you can't have ice cream, but like you can have ice cream, except instead of the ice cream, it's the fucking exclamation point. And also like the thing that also got me about this whole thing is that Ryan and Spencer were best friends. Yeah. Their entire childhood, they built a career together. Spencer and Ryan have been with each other through thick and thin. Yeah. And even even the breakup Ryan says came up at first when he was like having lunch with Spencer yeah. and talking to him and saying like, I think I need to leave. And Spencer being like, yeah, like I think that we all kind of need to do our own thing. And it's like, okay, but then like, why did two of you get to keep the name and two of you didn't? Like, that's what really gets me. And you're not even friends anymore. Yeah. Like that friendship basically, for all we know and for what I remember seeing, no longer existed Mm -hmm. you know however many years after the split yeah i don't know it's i mean maybe they are friends and it's just like since ryan is like so uh like a normal person level of privacy now Mm -hmm. like we just don't see it which like good for them if that's true but like you know we do see like pete and spencer's friendship that still exists we do see Mm -hmm. that like john still talks to spencer so you know it's sad that's the tell all that i want yeah from spencer smith from Spencer Smith. Yeah. I know that he's got some shit to say. Like, him and John both need to write it. Yeah. Because... Yeah. I want I want John to write it so bad, because I know that he is kind of beyond giving a shit about a lot of it. Oh, yeah. Um, He'd be so messy. But, like, who I really want to hear from is Dallin. Oh, my God, yeah. Dallin Weeks, who, uh... Dallin Weeks, I know you listen to this podcast. Yeah. have listened to it. <laughs> Dallin, I know that we're beefing, but, like... Can you, yeah, and we didn't can you mean tell me to what beef. happened? We didn't mean to beef. You're just, you need to grow up. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry that we're beefing, but also it's your fault. Yeah. If I don't want to be called emo, then I don't join an emo band. That's all I'm going to say. And that's that. Yeah. I mean, I say this. I do plan on listening to the new IDK Howe album. I really like his music. Give him the streams after we started beef, apparently. (laughs) I like him. That's the thing. I like him and I like his music. So for their tour with Blink-182, Panic at the Disco called in some touring musicians to fill in the now empty spots that they had. Um, On lead guitar, we got Ian Crawford, formerly of The Cab, currently of The Academy Is. The Cab was a band that had found some success on Decadence after passing their demos to Spencer after a show. Because they're also a Vegas band. Yes. Um, And on bass... Dallin Weeks uh, of the Brobex, a power pop band slash eventually solo project that had opened for Fall Out Boy in the past. What next? So then Panic decides to do not just a single, but entering the studio in 2010 to write their inaugural album as just Brendan and Spencer and also Dallin because Dallin then became a full-time member mm-hmm. after touring with them. Um, Miles... Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is that it's like almost time for them to go out and they're getting mad about it. I love his raspy little bark. Yeah. He's been smoking for 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So Dallin is now a full-time member, but he did not write or record on the album. And but he was considered a member of the band Isn't and was featured weird? on the. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> it's weird and featured weird. on the album cover. <laughs> like the Wikipedia article is like he was in the band. Did he write anything on it? No. Did he pick up an instrument? No. But he was in the band. Okay, how? <laughs> how? Like they were planning on like his. his like, he was the last member to be uh, revealed of, like, a debut K-pop group. Like, what? <laughs> it's like he's, how Han didn't sing on the debut song for Seventeen. Yeah, exactly. He's but in he's the band the, the same way that Johnny Sa is in any given song. He's there to be tall. And that's it. Yeah. Johnny Sa does have moments, though. I mean, he he gave us... That person is my person. That man is my girl. So it's <laughs> true. For that, I'm going to be eternally grateful. Um, Thank you, John. But like, <laughs> they're not letting that man sing, which is horrible. He was going to be an EXO. He was supposed <laughs> to be an EXO. Fuck! What the fuck? <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember me messaging you about the Johnny Sa potential pop punk connection? Because there's like a guitar tech. Um, from Chicago on, like, an early Fallout Boy album named, like, David Saw or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, like, how many Saws are there in Chicago? Like, a Who lot? Knows? <laughs> I maybe they're no not idea. related, but maybe there are, you know? That would have been crazy, though. Yeah. My same age friend, Johnny Saw from Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Whose uncle worked for Fallout Boy. Yeah. And then yeah. Pr- Miles. Prior to the release of Vice and Virtues, the band released a short film titled Overture, directed by Shane Drake, who also directed the Ballad of Mona Lisa video, which is a steampunk fever dream. <laughs> I consider that to be basically like the sequel to the I Wrote Sins Not Tragedies video, because like in it my is. mind, they look the fucking same. It's the same thing, except it got steampunkified. Yeah. And by 2011, steampunk wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> all so it's like what are you guys doing like we'd already kind of had that moment on deviantart and everyone was like is this anything and then it was like no it's it's not yeah no guys sorry and then like we would be making fun of the people who wore steampunk getups to anime cons yeah by this time so i don't know what they were doing with this one um the film ends with brendan saying i guess it's just us then and spencer replying it always has been which is fucked up because it hasn't been because brendan was the last person to be fucking added to this band it's so weird it's like okay you guys keep saying oh yeah it's amicable like it was just creative differences like we're still friends we still talk we just saw each other over fourth of july weekend anyway me and spencer have always been the only two people in the band what are you talking about like you're just lying this was weird it hasn't been the vibe was fucking weird so vices and virtues first panic album released without ryan as the main lyricist you can fucking tell uh yeah because it's not as good. <laughs> so pete wentz helped a lot and contributed some lyrics to the album notably on uh trade mistakes and calendar with lyrics pulled directly from his own like 2005 to 2006 journal entries um which is a little weird but you like, know yeah it's kind of crazy to see like put another x on the calendar the summer's on its deathbed there's nothing worse than knowing how it ends and being like, wow, doesn't everyone think that that was, like, a journal entry written about Mikey Way? And now, like, Brandon is singing. <laughs> it's, it's very, like, everyone jokes that, like, Pete made Patrick sing a million songs about Mikey. And it's like, now he's making Brendan sing about Mikey. And I, I think that truly what happened is he was just like, 
fuck, this dude cannot write, um, here, like... Take this. Here's some words that didn't make it onto my album. Throw it on yours, because, like, you fucking need it more than I do right now. Yep, and then everyone was like, oh my god, Summer's on its deathbed. It's, like, connecting to Little Death's musical beds. It's all about Ryan, and I'm like, nope, it... <laughs> it was just This Pete, was like business off <laughs> Um... And then, and, and another move of a smack in the face, mm-hmm. Miles is now horking in the background. <laughs> Miles is disgusted by what we're about to talk about. I know. As he so should then, be. As he should be. Nearly Witches makes his debut on this album, which yeah. feels evil, with Here I Am composing a burlesque, which is the only remaining lyric from Ryan's original song Yeah, on the album and on this situation yeah uh, and ryan like, is still wow, credited you... as a songwriter on this on this song he is on the album yep oh uh, okay um but it's like that's the only lyric that they kept and then you're like making a call back to fever because mm-hmm. you're so desperate to go back to those days and ha- like basically have the success that you had yeah and it feels bad it it feels bad it feels and it's like, I know that songs get reworked from their demos all the time, but like mm-hmm. having heard the original and then hearing what the new version sounds like, it, I don't, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I'm almost like privy to something that's like none of my business, but like not in like a fun gossip way, just in like a, like, I think I've been shown too much of you to, like, enjoy this art in mm-hmm. a way that I would if I didn't know how I got here. Exactly. Because, like, I don't know. I, like, with all the music that I got super into, like, it was always about attachment to the lyrics over attachment to the music itself. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, the music could be shit. The singing could be bad. If the lyrics were good, that's what I was there for. Exactly. So, like, Ryan leaving... And then them keeping that song and only keeping one lyric, keeping the rest of the song was just like, man, like this feels mean. And like, it does. obviously that's just me like speculating on like what the relationship was like there. But it's mm-hmm. like, I, I, the vibe was weird. I didn't like it. And I do like the song is the thing. I think it's a good song. It's just like, I wish I could have heard what it was going to be. Yeah. Like what the initial demo was yeah. supposed to turn into. Yeah. And it like, didn't. <laughs> I don't know, like, I like Vices and Virtues, but Vices and Virtues really does feel like they were doing like, okay, it's a fever you can't sweat out too. Um, yeah, that's basically what it like pickle two voice. Yeah, <laughs> but like, we're doing it like slightly less than we did it before. Because like, More you don't have the same commercially, you know, viable. Yeah, yeah, it's genuinely like, what if a label had <laughs> looked at a fever you can't sweat out and said, can you guys please make something that we can actually play on the radio? Yeah. Um, and then we did some edits and then brought back this. Yep. That's basically what like, this album is. And I don't think it's bad. It's just like, no. okay, you guys have kind of already done this, but better. So. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. So like, great. All right. Um. <laughs> and even trying to like bring that back, their tour starts in February 2011. And we're back to the theatricality that Fever had. Um, and in an interview with Spin Magazine, Brendan said, I really miss wearing costumes and makeup. I love throwing a big production. I've recently been reading about Tesla coils, and I'm trying to figure out how I can get one that sits on the stage and shoots sparks without hurting anyone. Steampunk bitch. 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's just really interesting to hear from Brendan that he really enjoyed doing that. And then, meanwhile, shortly after the split, Ryan Ross told MTV that he and John Walker were working on an album that was less flowery, less ornamental, and the songs were shorter and faster, more of a garage sound, closer to the Kinks rather than the Beatles. And that first album was recorded with the help of Alex Greenwald of Phantom Planet, a former tour mate of theirs. And to this day, Ryan and Alex are actually still good friends. Yeah. So that's uh, fun. The like one Ryan Ross sighting that we got last year was him coming out to join Phantom Planet on stage and play guitar with them for the song Do the Panic. Yeah. Um, super cute. Um, I don't know. I, I'd love to see him do more stuff like that. Like, I hope that he had fun. And I hope yeah. that he knows that there's still an audience for him should he still want it i miss you ryan ross mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. and the album's release was held up by ryan's contractual obligation to feel better almond to produce new music so like it took a hot second for the young veins to release take a vacation because mm-hmm. of this fact and yeah. john as we mentioned earlier john did not have the same obligation as someone who joined the band later on under a different contract so Ryan felt that the Young Veins music should be released elsewhere as FBR slash Decadence 2 was not the right home for it and that FBR president John Janik probably agreed. And interestingly enough, Pete did not get brought up in this discussion despite him being the one who brought Panic to his own vanity label to begin with and presumably holding some sway on the business side of FBR. So yeah. lots of like music law and yeah. business stuff like, going on there that I like contract law in the music industry the most evil shit in the face of the planet and also the hardest thing to understand as someone who doesn't own doesn't understand like any legalese to begin with yeah i mean it seems crazy period for artists to get signed to like multi-album contracts because it's just like well what if i don't want to write another album after this you know yeah and it's like i know that i don't know it's weird because it's like well it's art but it's also your job and like I I just think that must be like a hard thing to balance is mm-hmm. like, well, like it has to be meaningful to me, but I'm also doing it because like I have to, or I'm in breach of a contract. Like that mm-hmm. just, I don't know. It must feel weird. Um, Absolutely. So the young veins finally signed on to uh, one Haven music, the same label that uh, releases Butch Walker and lost lonely boys records. Um, and take a vacation was released on June 8th, 2010. And Take a Vacation um, ends with an exclamation point. Sure does. <laughs> sure does. Punctuation. It matters so much. Um, it says everything. Yeah. It's like, hang on. Like, I need everyone to pretend that I'm not about to reference Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> but, um, like, you know, the bit in Take a Break when Angelica mentions, like, oh, you added a comma and, like, it changed the meaning of this phrase. And, like, did you mean that? Or was it just, like, an accident? Every single time one of these idiots uses an exclamation point, I'm like, what are you telling me right now? What are you, right? what are you really saying? What For what reason did you do that? Because mm-hmm. I know that you're you're sharing a coded message with me right now by adding an exclamation point. You're speaking maybe they are, maybe to me not. directly yeah. by doing this. <laughs> exactly. By naming your album this, you're only talking to me, nobody else. It's just me and you. And you're telling me that you're not over the breakup. And it's okay, because I'm not either. I'm still not. And not, because what happened in Cape Town? What the fuck happened in Cape Town? We cannot even begin to get into all that right now. No, but I mean, we're going to have an entire briefly, episode dedicated just to 
just what happened in Cape Town. Briefly, on the bonus track from Vices and Virtues, Bittersweet, Brendan mentions, I think it's Bittersweet, mentions I've been to Tokyo and to South Africa, you know, and on Take a Vacation, Ryan specifically mentions, like, a, there's an entire song about Cape Town. And to hear the interviews and to hear the firsthand accounts of fans who are watching their tour and watching, like, the real-time breakdown of this band, they say it really started falling apart when they were touring in South Africa. And specifically around Cape Town. That, like, it just started getting bad. But the breakup was amicable. But the you breakup know? was amicable. But what the fuck happened in Cape Town? What happened? I'll never know. <sighs> All we but can maybe do is I will. Anyway, Vices and Virtues and take a vacation since they both featured songs about Cape Town. Um, and, you know, just lots of other little things that were in there. Um, a lot of fans speculated that they were written about the breakup or that Ryan had written some of these songs about Brandon or that Brandon had written some of these songs about Ryan. Mm-hmm. Be that in a fan shipping way, which a lot of it was, or just be that in a like band What's breakups and friendship breakups are messy. And like, probably some of this is about processing that. Yeah. But weirdly, like the most, I don't know, like the most impactful line in a song uh, post-breakup did not come from either of those albums. And it came from a song on Pretty Odd. And it came from the first time that we saw Brendan sing Northern Downpour <sighs> post-breakup. I'll kill you. <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'll kill you dead. Um, <laughs> and it's the worst thing that I've ever seen. The <laughs> like, video haunts me. It's really rough to to watch like the first time that brendan has sung northern downpour post breakup to hear like the lore um apparently ryan had told brendan while they were recording the song like give special attention to the line uh melt your headaches call it home you know like that's like the one i know the world's a broken bone but melt your headaches call it home the first time that brendan sings that song live post split he like step back from the mic and is like kind of like it looks like he's about to cry and he's like i'm Mm. sorry i can't do this and he's like (laughs) like he's like kind of laughing at himself like he just trying to brush it off and like it doesn't end the show like the band like the audience takes it up and they keep going with it and the song Mm. continues after that but like he just is like oh like i can't do this um and everyone you know obviously reads into that as him being like sad about the fucking band splitting still Mm -hmm. um which like of course i'm like i'm sure he was yeah like we all were but like he was actually in it um and then you know ryan also performed this song live in like a solo show or not like a solo show he was performing with um zberg um an artist that he had collaborated with Mm -hmm. and him singing that song like by himself um the audience also like takes up that line to like really sing back at him and like he kind of lights up at it like he's clearly like very affected by it Mm -hmm. um like people still fucking love you ryan and (laughs) it's just like this song (laughs) uh it's good it's it's a good song if you're interested in being absolutely ripped to shreds by um a narrative of a band becoming more important than a friendship and then the friendship ending, but the friendship still kind of living on through the music that you two produce together, then go watch the live performances of Northern Downpour post-breakup and hurt your own feelings. Yep. And just take, make a day of it. Yeah. Make a drink. Stiff one. 
Yeah. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> the only way to be able to handle it. Yeah. Lie down. Uh, I don't know. Put an ice pack on your forehead or something. Mm. It's going to be a rough one. It's going to be a rough one. Um. Also, almost immediately after Take a Vacation comes out, <laughs> Ryan and Brent, uh, I mean, Ryan and John are like, we're going on hiatus, which yeah, is like the funniest right thing you could possibly <laughs> do after calling an album Take a Vacation. Yeah. You take a vacation from this new band that you yeah, started. Yeah, that they're still on. <laughs> Yeah, they, they've never officially broken up. They've just been on like a decade long hiatus. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um. <laughs> but as we went to the top of the episode, they've since re-released an anniversary edition of Take a Vacation on Vinyl and also put out a t-shirt. Like, but that's about all we're probably ever going to get from the Young Beans. Yeah, I bought the t-shirt. Like, you whatever. Did? Uh. <laughs> you know that I did. Of course I did. <laughs> like, whatever. I didn't. I didn't. Give me that shit. I, I have too many t-shirts and I was like, if it's just the the logo of it, I am not buying yeah. it. If it was like a newly designed t-shirt, that would have been different, but it yeah. wasn't. I don't know. I think so. it would be funny for me to wear a take a vacation shirt to work. So that would have been really funny. Yeah. And I'm going to. So. And this is kind of like where we're going to take a pause on the lore of Panic at the Disco because we still have so much more to get through. But yeah, this takes us through pretty odd to like post-breakup, vices and virtues, etc. Yeah. We will get back on it to the roller coaster that is this band um, on our next episode or frankly, probably the maybe possibly the next episode after because let's be realistic, we're trapped in uh, interests <laughs> beyond <laughs> Panic of the Disco history right now and I'm just going to give us a little bit of grace and we can talk about some other things going on in the scene and do a nice little chatty catch-up episode but yeah we will let you know when we know what yeah. the vibe on that one is going to be yeah because we so. still got uh too weird to live too young to die we got spencer leaving we got death of a bachelor we got pray for the wicked we got viva las vengeance and uh the final final breakup of panic yep. to discuss which who knows that might actually end up being like an episode, two episodes, one really fucking long episode because so much happens yeah. over the course of the next decade with this yeah. band. Like, fuck, that dude just kept on trucking. Yep. For better but or yeah. for fucking worse. That is all from us for now. Uh, after you listen to um, Gerard and Mikey talk about So Emi Fell Apart, you will hear... About one of our friends over at Moonshot. And also, if you happen to miss the Moonshot Direct that happened, it is available for VOD, Video On Direct, On Demand, et cetera, et cetera, on uh, Twitch and I think YouTube. If you go to the at Moonshot Pod Twitter, there'll be plenty of links to where you can watch that. You can see the absolutely hysterical um, video I made for yeah. the class of 2023 <laughs> podcast section that we were a part of, which is very funny. And also you could see all the really cool fucking like super sick projects coming out of Moonshot soon this next year um, that I'm also I'm so stoked to to get into it. And you should also be stoked about it. You so. really should. Big things happening, as they say. Oh, yeah. And once again, subscribe and follow us on your podcatcher of choice. Follow us uh, over on Insta and Twitter at So Emo Pod. Um, and listen to Pretty Odd again. Yeah. Give it a listen. Watch Jennifer's Body. It's Halloween. Happy Fucking happy watch Halloween. Jennifer's Body. Holy shit. You know what song is in Jennifer's Body? 
Hmm. Not to not to derail the ending of this episode. You know what song is in Jennifer's body? Fucking what? cute is what we aim for. Exactly. And it's not even like from their first album. It's from Rotation. In- insane move, but you know. Yeah. Hang on. Because <laughs> like it's it's a fucking dog. This soundtrack fucks. You got to listen to this. Um, It's time. Only a matter of time. Um, nice. But they they had dashboard confessional. They had still for some pickups. They had all time low. Cobra Starship is on this album. Diablo Cody knows how to curate a fucking soundtrack. Yeah, she did. So yeah, that's your homework. Um, also, Pete Wentz was al- almost in that movie. That's so funny. Very nearly in that movie. Um, only the fact that he cannot act his way out of a paper <laughs> fucking bag saved us from that. Um, Thank God. Yeah, because that would have been a lot. All right. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's it. That's I'm your done now. Yeah. Watch pretty odd. Uh, watch pretty watch odd. Pretty listen odd to pretty and listen odd. to Jennifer's body. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know, get involved with more moonshot pods. Like us, review us, all those things, and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Kung Fu grip. Kung Fu grip. As so- you can see, I had to use my uh, judo on Gerard. Yeah, I see that Gerard's actually gone to pieces here during this interview. Sometimes it happens. I just got so emo, I fell apart. That's what actually happened. You got that sad? That's. Hello, Moonshot listeners. I want to play a game. Claudia and Nicole are being held in the basement of an undisclosed abandoned building. Their task is to watch every movie in the Saw franchise before the release of Saw 10 on September 29th and provide thoughtful analysis. Your challenge is to listen to them cover two Saw films a week in their new miniseries, We See Saw, every Monday and Thursday here on the Moonshot Network. Let the game begin.